Just before the meeting this evening, uh, somebody suggested that I might give a talk about how wearing designer label clothes doesn't necessarily make you a better person. <laughs> this person, by the way, was wearing very posh-looking designer label clothes, just the same colour as his car, so they're kind of really spiffing <laughs> image. Um, well, it's a, it's a useful question, useful thing to contemplate, and of course what it what it refers to is uh, what what is it really that makes us what is it that makes us real people and what is it that makes us genuine people not just good people because even the idea of goodness can be another artificial self-image and probably we've all seen how limited building up the idea of being a good person can be as well and trying to find security in that. So we do try to find security in all sorts of outer forms. And it's basically what the world is all about, isn't it? I think if, uh, I think you can, you can go to court if somebody does something to damage your reputation these days. Somebody makes false accusations, you can take them to court and sue them because they've damaged your reputation. And uh, as if reputation is some sort of a a really, really important thing. We can attach to our reputation. We can, of course, attach to our physical well-being, and that's another unstable, unsafe source of security. Or in this case, it's our appearance. This person was talking about designer label clothes. And, uh, of course, the reason that designer label clothes sell is because uh, they're selling an image, isn't it? Build up a label and cultivate that name, that image, and then you sell the image. And for those who don't really know who they are, then they can fall prey to being tempted to try and buy this image. How to be cool. Yves Saint Laurent t-shirt, boss suit, Gucci shoes. I don't know, do Gucci do shoes or just do handbags? Some of you don't know about Gucci, okay. (laughs) And Kelvin Klein glasses when I, I noticed that when I I have this thing that many years ago I, I started removing the labels from things that I use in my cootie like you know, things I might use in the bathroom like oils or or creams or you know shaving lotion if I can't remove the label then I, I try to put it into a label bottle because 
it's just the feeling of trying of somebody trying to define me by their their image. I didn't I didn't like that feeling, so I many years ago I started doing this thing. I, I like the feeling of of not other people not getting away with trying to manipulate me. Because uh, to the degree that we buy into these images, of course, we betray ourselves, uh, our true selves. What we're really interested in in spiritual life is finding out who we really are. Who is it, where is it, we can turn to find true security? And it seems to me that's the only reason for spiritual practice, really, to find true security. Because we have some sense of how unsafe the way we've lived so far has been, because it keeps letting us down. Remember that story I've told before about the guy with the mobile phone on the train carriage? Probably you've heard it, but those of you that haven't heard it, I'll tell you again. It's a good story. I didn't actually see this happen, but I was talking to somebody on the train. This is not that many years ago when mobile phones were new. Almost hardly anybody had one, and if you had one, you were really cool. It was really the thing to do to be seen with a mobile phone. And and these days, you know, you're talking loudly on a mobile phone in a train carriage, and everybody's giving you dirty looks, and you're, you know, you, you, nobody likes you. But anyway, in this case, this was a, mobile phones had just come out, and this guy was down the end of the carriage talking away, talking about one conversation after another, another really loud conversation, so everybody in the train could hear him. Well, then what happened was somebody in the train carriage, uh, it was a woman in the train carriage, was pregnant. She started to go into labor. And you can imagine what a scene that caused in the train carriage. Everybody, you know, wow, what do you do with this? This is a poor woman. So the first reaction was to go to the guy with the mobile phone and, and ring somebody. And it turned out that the mobile phone was a fake phone. It wasn't a real phone. It was just one of those plastic ones in there. This poor guy was just trying to look cool, and he was caught out in front of the whole carriage. I mean, that is really, that is about as uncool as you can get. I mean, that poor woman, she had a bad time, but he had a worse time. <laughs> I mean, we all get caught out sometimes with being false. And the thing is, how to, uh, how to learn from it when we get caught out being false. Not being a judgmental. Because we, we we all do it. We all cultivate the image of ourselves. And there's a verse in the Dhammapada, just uh, just again before puja tonight, uh, Jim and, and Kath and, and I were, were working together proofreading the Dhammapada. We're going to reprint the Dhammapada as part of our 25th anniversary celebration and, and we're doing a new printing of it, so it needs to be proofread. And there's all these interesting verses in there. And there's one verse in there that, that I always like very much, it says, when you mistake the false for the real and the real for the false, you live a life of falsity. But when you see the false as the false, you see the real as the real, you live in the truly real. And that's the point. When, when we see the false as the false, it's not like trying to never be false. You've got to get rid of all our designer label clothes or, or not, you know, not paying attention to our self-image or pretend we don't have a self-image. That's that's not it. We do have a self-image. We've had one ever since about the age of seven when our, our self-structures, our ego-structures kind of 
coagulated enough into something that gave us a sense of differentiation. And that is a self-image. And hopefully it's a functional one. But the point is that it's not a real source of security. It keeps letting us down all the time. Our reputation. You know, somebody insults us in our, our reputation. If somebody insults us, does that really damage the real me? Or the awareness that is at the core of my being, is that upset or damaged when somebody insults me? If somebody trashes my reputation, I mean, that's their problem, really, isn't it? If they, if they trash my reputation, that's their problem. Yeah. We wouldn't, for instance, if you've got something like if you've got a, a mark on your nose, you got a, you, you cut your nose or something rather than you, you want to put a patch on it and you look in the mirror, you're not going to kind of touch the mirror, are you? You know, you wouldn't go and stick a plaster on the mirror. That would be really stupid. I mean, you'd have to be really stupid to do something like that. But that's, that's the same thing we're doing when we play too much around with our self-image. And when we polish our self-image too much, it's like dealing with the reflection of our, who and what we are. Having an image is functional. Having a self-image is functional. It's part of the process of individuation. It's, it's appropriate. But if we identify with the image that we have of ourselves, well then what's the result? The result is we feel alienated. And why do we feel alienated? Well, because we are alienated. We're holding on to something that's not real, that's not truly who and what we are. The experience of, of being alienated is like, you know, is feeling always like I'm lacking something. I've got so many nice t-shirts. I've got so many nice suits. I've got, well, I haven't actually got that many suits. <laughs> but maybe some of you can relate to that. I've got a wardrobe full of clothes and shoes and, and car and you know, know all the right people and, you know, and yet still be really, really miserable. I watched um, Desperate Housewives the other day. Have you ever seen Desperate Housewives? Fascinating program. You should watch it. Interesting study in human pathology. So, I was staying at somebody's house and watched Desperate Housewives. and It starts off with this woman, a very sad story, because this woman who killed herself. Uh, and she had everything. Except something she didn't have because she felt she was lacking. And what she didn't have was a direct relationship or a direct knowledge of who she is. When people try to, when people try or succeed in killing themselves, yeah. what are they killing? They're not really killing themselves, they're just killing their body. Yeah. And it's not the body, it's not the problem. When people try or succeed in killing themselves, what they're fighting against and what they're trying to kill off is a self-image that no longer serves their life. The life that is trying to come through them can't work, can't fit, can't flow through the self-image that they have. The self-structures that have, they've been equipped with are failing them. And so actually, quite understandably, 
they want to be free from that self-image. However, it's a terrible mistake to try and kill off the body thinking that that's going to actually solve it. Because that's not the problem. The body's not the problem. It's understandable sometimes when people suffer so much they might have that motivation. But the most useful thing I think that can be pointed out is that there's not necessarily anything wrong with wanting to be free from who they feel themselves to be but that killing the body is not going to help. There's something else there that needs to change. And so when we do catch ourselves being false, living in our self-image, then to just simply reflect on that, to, to be aware of that, not to, not to take a position and get all self-judgmental and say, oh, I'm such an egotistical muttonhead. After all these years of practice, how can I be worried about my reputation or my image, my self-image, my wrinkles? I'm going to use some more aloe vera gel to get rid of my wrinkles, my complexion. I shouldn't be so judged. I shouldn't be so preoccupied with my self-image. Well, my experience is that doesn't really help. But what does help is you say, oh, right, is that really me that I'm paying attention to? Is that, And is that really worth? It's a relative me. It's a part of me. The ego is part of me. The image I have of myself is a part of me. But is that really worth hanging on to desperately and promoting? You know, like when we talk in our conversations, talking about all my attributes, all my skills. And it's very easy to do, unless you've got a really serious negative self-view and then you, when somebody pays you a compliment well then you talk, point out all your horrible points all your weaknesses and somebody tries to be nice to you and then you, you repel them with telling them how, what an objectionable person you are it's the same thing though isn't it it's a self-view yeah. but when we're doing that maybe what we could also stop and do is, is just feel how we feel about our self-image. And also to consider the fact that we can reflect on the self-image. We can reflect on this. We can say, oh, this is, this is an image of myself. This is an image of me. This is a changing, uncertain, unreliable thing. It's got its place. But just by reflecting on that, I find that the way we hold to it is loosened. In other words, we don't, we learn to not take ourselves so seriously. And then it becomes actually quite fun to experiment with not feeding our self-image. Sometimes I find when I do something, I make an idiot of myself in the community. I do something silly and look like a fool. Part of me, of course, would like to cover it up and pretend that I don't look like an idiot. But I found also it's quite good. It's a good feeling to actually really emphasize it. Yeah. One member of the community wrote me a letter once and told me that they were aware this is what I was doing. As they said, I know that you're making sure we all know that you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look like an idiot. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me about it. <laughs> But it's true. Sometimes I do. I make a mistake. Because to be burdened with the fear of looking like an idiot is terrible. Whereas when you've got a perspective on the relativity of your self-image, you say, well, this is not really me. 
this self-image, this personality, this self-structure. It's just, it's a, it's stuff. It's just stuff that's been conditioned. And to how to disidentify from it, how to let go of it, how to not take it so seriously. That's the interesting thing. And so, you know, if you do make a fool of yourself, well, then just to really open up and just, you know, let everybody see. I don't mean being, you know, not at a, you know, in, a, in the wrong place, but I mean amongst your friends, amongst your family. You know. Or in a situations where there's an opportunity to really blow your own trumpet, you know, to really tell everybody how wonderful you are, just to consciously choose to keep your mouth shut. Or somebody's pointing out, say, like somebody, somebody praises, they come into the, into your place and they, they praise something. They say, oh, that's really wonderful. That's really well done. I wonder who did that. And, and you did it. You just don't say anything. You just keep your mouth shut. Now you could say, oh, I did that. <laughs> and then feed on the praise. Well, the Buddha talked about it. He says it's feeding on the vomit and spittle that has been spat out by others. Yeah, this is, which is not very nice, is it? But that's, the wise recognize that feeding on praise and blame is like feeding on vomit and spittle. Mm. Now, those are fairly heavy words and, and, and you know, enough to put you off, but the useful thing to do is to find ways of actually just disengaging from feeding on the false in a non-judgmental way. We're all false. But as the Buddha said, seeing the false as the false and the real as the real, we attain to the perfectly real. So it's not trying to get rid of the falseness, but it's just seeing when we're false, seeing when we're feeding on something that's not sustainable, not real, not reliable. And again, it doesn't mean that we have to get rid of um, those things about us that are false. We've got to be very patient. And sometimes you get a little insight into this possibility and and then you can be very afraid of of having an ego. I mean, sometimes Buddhists, you get know, Buddhists are afraid of being somebody because they think that spiritual realization is not having an ego. Well, it's not being identified with the ego, that's true. But we need to work with what we've got. And so we've all got an ego, we've all got a personality, we've all got a self-image. But how we relate to self-image, that's the point. And so if we're practicing rightly, well, after a while you actually get to the point you can enjoy the fact that you've got a self-image. It's, it's a kind of a joke, really, the personality. You don't want really to get too upset about it. Kind of neurotic tendencies that we all have. Is don't worry about it too much. Just enjoy them. Ajahn Chai is just say, trying to cut off all your kilesas. He says, don't get rid of them all. He says, it's no fun at all. You try too hard to get rid of all your kilesas. It's no fun. The best thing you do is, he said, is like treat it like a monkey. That you tie a rope around it and then give it a long leash and then tie the other end around a tree. Yeah. And then just let it run loose. Yeah. And that's the kind of, it's like a, the mind is a, the ego is a monkey really, isn't it? Or as Chogun Trumpa put it, it was sort of more like an ape, actually. What the ego does, it goes around aping things. It imitates things, it picks things up and imitates them. Or, like you might have noticed, sometimes you discover something works for you in terms of a wise reflection or, or some insight in meditation. And then the next thing you know, your ego is laying claim to it as if your ego did it. So, oh, look what I've realized. And then you've spoiled it and it doesn't work anymore. 
Maybe you've, maybe you've wondered why sometimes you have an insight in practice and then after a while it, it stops working. Well, it's because the ego has laid claim to it. I realize this. If there was any insight, if there was any clear seeing, any understanding emerged, it emerged out of unknowing, out of not knowing, out of simple being in awareness. And then what comes along later is the sense of, oh, look what I've done. And then we spoil it. However, again, once again, if we catch ourselves doing that, no judgment, feel good about it, actually. say, like, oh, right, awareness must be pretty good if we can actually catch ourselves being false. That's good. It's good to see you when we're being false. There was uh, one of the verses we read in the Dhammapada this evening when we were proofreading it. It it also pointed out that, I can't remember the verse exactly, but it said something like, living a glamorous lifestyle does not necessarily obstruct you on the way. Hmm. So that's another thing, like taking a position against forms. That's not it either. Like thinking that you can't have any you can't make the space you live in look beautiful or you can't pay any attention to the way you, you do your hair or, or the way you present yourself, saying, well, this body is all just, it's all just a load of muck anyway, a skin bag full of feces and pus and urine. That's, that's may as well just get around looking like a skin bag full of feces, pus and urine. <laughs> that's what it is, you know. Smell like a skin bag full of feces, pus and urine. <laughs> Well, that's supposed to be a private contemplation. That's not, you know, it's a lack of compassion actually to get around <laughs> presenting yourself as, as that. Yeah. It's taking a fixed position again. It's, it's understandable and appropriate that we investigate our relationship to the body, holding to the body. And again, it's the image of the body because, you know, if you close your eyes and you're sitting just in awareness, what is the body? It's not actually a solid thing. It's a sensation. Isn't it? The body is a mixture of a configuration of sensations. And then we combine it with an image. We feed these sensations. We, we bring the sensations we feel together with the image we have ourselves. We looked in the mirror so many times and looked at ourselves so many times. So we bring these sensations and this image together and we get a, a sense of self, an image of who we are. And it's that idea of our body. Again, this is me. Yeah. But again, it's a, it's a mental impression. And if we're feeding on it, well, it's a false source of security. It's not going to last. It's not, not dependable. But to the degree that we see that, well, then we get interested in it. That's the thing. That's the essence, is interest. Yeah. To be interested in seeing the false as the false. Not to be interested in getting rid of the false or being too interested in getting into the false, but simply being interested in seeing the false as the false, saying this body is a false source of security, designer codes are a false source of security, and then what we do is we loosen our grasp a little bit, being very, very patient. Mm. Like with our meditation practice also, we can have a few insights and Good experiences in meditation, maybe a little bliss when we first start meditating. And then we get an idea of our spiritual practice. The image of me as a meditator. The image of me as a spiritual person. And then we, we want to feed this me by becoming more spiritual. 
you're getting an organic buckwheat, pure cotton zafu and doing lots of meditation, lots and lots of meditation. Well, I always suggest to people that they meditate less than they want to. And people do meditation retreats and then come back and think, I've got to do two hour-long sitting meditations every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, four weeks a month. And if they start to miss a day or miss an hour, whatever, their self-image is damaged. Not necessarily the meditation is damaged, but the self-image is damaged. To avoid feeding a self-image, uh, as if we needed another one, of myself as a spiritual person, say, well, don't meditate as much as you want. Meditate a little less. If you want to sit for an hour, then meditate for 55 minutes. I recommend 30 minutes a day, six days a week, you know, when people are starting meditation. You know, when people are experienced and, and really competent in meditation, well, then it's not an issue anymore. But starting off, we want to avoid, if possible, letting our interest in meditation, our interest in Dhamma, become another false image. And so taking one day off a week, sometimes when I suggest this to people, they get really confused. They just think, you can't be serious. And they say, no, I'm serious. I think it's really good. So any fixed position, really, uh, if we see any fixed position we have, then not to jump to conclusions about it, not to uh, take a counter-position as a reaction. Taking a counter-position can be skillful, just to relativize the fixed position, but not taking counter-position as a reaction against our fixed position, but really rather becoming interested in it to look, to inquire, and to see if we could feel for why are we being, why are we getting stuck on this? Why are we getting attached to this? Is there any fixed position just another way of saying any attachment? Yeah. Why are we attached to this? Well, the chances are, somehow or other, the false self, the ego self, the personality, our self-image, is feeding on it. And again, as I was saying, the, the best way to approach it is just get really interested to see until we can see for ourselves the false is the false, and then maybe attain the perfectly real. So, thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs>